Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery Podcast WikiHole. You know what a WikiHole is. We've all been there. You look up a certain celebrity to see how tall they are and whether they've said anything cringe about vaccines. Before you know it, you're 10 minutes into reading about something called a toast sandwich. That's basically what it's like to listen to WikiHole, only funnier. Every episode is a new rabbit hole to explore with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends, loaded with unforgettable new information you'll literally never need to know. And that's why it's great. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Catherine Van Aerdonk is back, my friends, to talk about the state of stand-up specials. Catherine is Vulture's comedy critic, who you might know from her biannual appearances on this very podcast. Catherine also co-hosts with me a Patreon podcast called The Specials, in which we discuss stand-up specials, not unlike you're about to hear us do right now. This episode, we're going to run through Catherine's list of the best specials of the year so far, based on an article of the same name that ran on Vulture. We'll include a link to the article in the show notes if you'd like to read, and you should. So, here is Catherine Van Arendonk. So, I am here with the one, the only, Catherine Van Arendonk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about your list of the best specials of the year so far. That is half the year. I I like to start these with a general sense of sort of how you approach this as a sort of value system and a sort of rhetorical or journalistic exercise so people have a sense of like what this list is telling them. Yeah. So, uh... You know, every time we do one of these, uh, we have a version of this conversation, and I I like continuing to check in with it because it changes. You know, like as I as I work on them, as I do the list for more years, as the world and the circumstances under which we are making the list have changed quite dramatically in the last several years, um, I think it is useful to check in and also to adjust, right? Like what what a list is doing and, and how it works. So the biggest change from last year when I was putting this list together in the middle of the summer um, is that we are no longer quite as much in that point of scarcity post-COVID specials. So we are no longer in a place where you need to, you know, basically anything that is comedy shaped that comes out as a special counts as notable because it is notable for existing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so... In that sense, 
I can be a little bit more selective about what makes it onto the list and what doesn't. On the other hand, now that there are more specials sort of coming out into the world, um, I have wanted to start to treat this list actually more the way that we build uh, the best TV of the year on Vulture, which is to treat it as we are doing, as we sort of go so far through the year, we, we update it, I think, starting in like March and then, you know, check in mm -hmm. once a month. Um, and we err toward inclusion. We lean toward inclusion as far as things that we feel like are are great and obviously worth noting, but also things that are um, interesting and notable and worth pointing out as existing, right? Mm. And so the idea is that the list as it builds throughout the year has more and more things on it. This makes sense to me because it's impossible to say this is the best thing of the year when it's June, who knows? Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the end of the year, you have the whole list you can winnow that down into the inevitable and apparently obligatory 10 best specials of the year ranked. But then you also have a sort of a addendum list that is all the other things that came out that were notable. And so you're not um, throwing them out. You're not, you know, saying that they do not count as being uh, considered for the year. But on the other hand, you're able to sort of have your cake and eat it too as far as distinguishing between the things that are really special and that you really want to celebrate and the things that, you know, for whatever reason you think didn't achieve or didn't work for you or, you know, have something that, that is sort of holding you back from calling it incredible, but is nevertheless important and worth mm -hmm. paying attention to as far as comedy of the year. So that is why the list right now um, has a mix of a lot of different kinds of things on it. And it's sort of how I am imagining the list kind of going forward at this point. Yeah, this is it's best of and best in this time means notablest to Catherine. Yes. yes. Um, that said, so we're going to be talking about nine specials and um, Catherine and I agreed or I, I asked Catherine and she agreed yeah. that it seemed like to my eyeballs that there were two specials that were notable year -er, um, <laughs> that were essentially transcendent to a point that like time does not matter. Like, it, you know, like all of these, like once, you know, pencils down on the year, you'll be like, oh, let me compare this to like where, what this year was. There were sort of two that sort of transcended to a point that, um, it doesn't matter. They they exist outside of time. They sort of existing works that are sort of so special. So I want to talk about those first, um, those two first, um, and then we'll sort of go through the, the rest. And so the first of those two is uh, Gerard Carmichael's Rathaniel, which aired on the HBO family of networks, is how I'm calling it. I saw my parents' sex tape. <laughs> it was kind of a, t a side tangent, but... I was about 12 years old. I came home from school early. I would watch, like, my dad. If you got, like, a dad or older brother, you know, they might have had a porn stash. This is the 90s. My dad kept his tapes in a Nike box uh, in the bedroom closet on the top shelf uh, beside a gun and a jar of nickels. <laughs> Uh, 
And I remember putting this tape in and like what it, it, it was about 15 seconds before I started recognizing the bedroom. <laughs> no, those sheets got lemons on them. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like I never told my my family. I never told my parents that I've seen that. It, it's it's odd because it, you know it's one of those things that you just you. It's odd you can't talk about sex with your parents. Not that anybody really wants to, but you just can't. And, and you're, you're only here because your parents fuck. Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> your dad came and your mom is, <laughs> and you're here. But you gotta, like, have you ever been, you ever been watching a movie with your parents and like a sex scene came on and you just gotta be like, nope, no, it's not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what is there to say? We've said so much about it, both in writing and um, on the specials. But, you know, what do, what do you want to say about it right now that you feel like you, why it's on this list or why it needs to be in a sort of tier like this? I think there, there are two things. One is that it is absolutely incredible as an object in and of itself, right? As a special that does the sort of, the work of a special as far as stand-up, as a special that has a particular place in a comedian's career, as a special that um, is playing with the history of stand-up specials and the history of stand-up comedy, as, uh, you know, the way that we understand Gerard Carmichael's role in culture. I mean, just it is – just as itself, mm-hmm. no question, obviously – an incredible feat. But, and probably because of this, is also the kind of special that um, is useful as a as an object for thinking about a lot of other stuff happening in comedy and in culture and in art sort of more broadly, right? So you talk about Rothaniel on its own terms, but then you also get Rothaniel as this example, as this kind of... Um, turning point or whatever however you want to use it to talk about like uh how we talk about comedy directing to talk about um how we talk about personal revelations and the idea of a comedic persona to think about whether or not it is actually important to laugh at every point in a comedy special to like it is engaging with all these other conversations that are sort of already happening in other places that other comedians and other specials are raising but it is hard to imagine a better um sort of locus for all of those different things than than this one special right it it is so rare to have a special that is so filled with ideas about form as well as um is it like is compelling in of itself um and also the story it is telling is interesting like it is overwhelming in the amount of artistry being given to the audience and 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 allows you to engage on it with whatever at whatever level you want to engage on it with like if you don't care about the formal revolution like you don't even like care to deal with it like if you don't watch that many specials and this is just a thing and you're not thinking about it in terms of its relationship to the history or present in specials then you're just like Oh, what an interesting story that I watched. And that was really beautiful to look at. And that was really compelling. And 
that parts were funny you know like you have that but you also have the parts of like the first 25 minutes is like some of the highest level of family storytelling i've seen in stand-up in a very 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 long time and it's so well done and so so funny and so um well drawn and so much like I, the example i always use is that he he does the thing of using people's first names or the names he calls them and then he creates characters and they exist in spaces in your mind they're not just words in a joke you feel like you understand not necessarily only who they are but you sort of see a web it, it's incredible what he does and so you, you can do that or you can watch it over and over again and think about what it's trying to say about how a special and how a comedian and how a comedian in a special can create intimacy and communicate intimacy through cameras. And it's asserting what that can look like while also needing to do that, right? It's like, this is a show that needs to feel intimate to do what it's trying to do. Um, But it's also being like, this is how one must to actually achieve intimacy does not and and vulnerability and the feelings of vulnerability does not mean the comedian must come out of the closet and and talk about his trauma or talk about his complicated relationship with his mother but it does demand that that story needed to do the things that it does to create the feelings of intimacy via how the camera was used how the audience is um either manipulated and not just sort of manipulated as like a scary term, but like played with and used Mm -hmm. with and how both in the performance and in the editing, all of these things are so intentionally done and to execute it is so hard. Like it it's, and does not seem it. It is so well executed that you, it seems like there was no strings. It's like, it's so perfectly choreographed that you're like, Oh, they just probably just plopped a camera down, and you're like, no, like, no. and and that's fine, and that's cool, like, and that's not a negative, like that. It's just so exciting because it can everything is exciting about it. every single part of this is exciting to us as people who watch a lot of specials. Yeah, I think it is also uh, it is a continuation of a conversation that we have been having for a long time, but that is so fascinating right now. Because it is so much about um, how much it matters whether something is true, the thing in front of you. Uh, And the way that that idea is um, sort of presented as a concept that he talks about sort of within his family and within Mm. his personal relationships and then is presented and also sort of makes you want to fuck with it as far as how the audience is being messed with and what is true as far as how this was shot and like whether there was actually I mean all of it it becomes this incredible play on these on these same themes um yeah is I don't think it's the I don't it's not the only special that I have watched like multiple times this year but it is one of a very few specials that I have watched like more than five times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's probably, I, I, including all things that we call comedy special. So this includes, um, inside. I guess is. I think I'd say it's the most successful, like, f- marrying of form and function in the history of comedy specials. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've seen enough, and I don't think anything else has got there where, like, this is exactly... Well, successful, but it. also not... But but successful in an ambitious, sort of weird yeah, yeah. way, right? Sure, not yeah. necessarily... I yeah. mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, you're right. A lot... If, if the goal is, like, just a clean document of, like, what a tour date was like, then, yes, a lot have been very successful. Exactly. But, yes, both... And it's a the crowning achievement, the pinnacle of... The, that marriage um and so the the second one the the so the second special that we're going to talk about and it's interesting to talk about in congress but i first want to talk about it in and of itself is um but i also want to talk about it on it on its own um merits is ali sadiq's the domino effect which was released on youtube yeah so let's talk about it in itself and then we can talk about how they're similar yeah in ways that are surprising in ways that are surprising um it is a it does not have – it looks much more like a traditional stand-up special, right? Um, except for the fact that he begins by sitting down, which mm-hmm. is just this very simple, very masterful way of centering attention on his body and sort of in his um, storytelling frame so that you come to him – as an audience, he is not coming to you. And the act of sitting there and ha- like pulling people into your space is it feels different in a context like this where it's clearly a, a fairly traditional setting you know he is not in a jazz club it's hard not to immediately compare it to the thing that sure, we were just yeah. talking about but well especially because gerard also sits also down. sits right yeah our two top stand-up specials of the year so far are sit down sit down specials yes um but that move is more powerful and harder to pull off when you know like every single camera angle and the power of bo burnham are not standing there to create this like thing uh and so what you enter into very quickly is this virtuosic space where he describes his childhood and the way that he grew up and the way that it has affected him and like sort of created the mind that he is mm-hmm. now. And that, you know, on paper, that sounds like, yeah, like, I know a lot of things like that. That's I've seen that before. And it is sort of hard to describe what it is about this that that is so distinct from, like, yeah, here's a thing that happened to me and it turned me into this kind of person. Except that um, his ability to create whole worlds and whole characters... And to do exactly what it says in the title, which is to sort of have this sense that one Mm -hmm. thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and that they are all their own separate events, which is so a part of his ability to craft them as distinctive anecdotes, and yet that they are all woven together into um, the sort of cumulative personality of who he is. Uh, Storytelling wise, yeah. I mean, I frankly, just in a level of text, prefer this to Gerard. Like this, I think is, um, I I was just blown away, particularly in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, like I don't know, maybe he's the greatest storyteller alive. I mean, it's 
this is it. This is the thing. So here's the, this is a conversation that happens all the time where we, the whatever we are, claim a certain type of stand-up special and then a certain type of pushback happens where it's like, a special has to be like a one-person show about the worst thing that's ever happened to you and I have to have a dramaturge and there's lighting and all this stuff. Like, right. that is, you immediately go from, oh, like, stand-up can be more ambitious to like, it has to be Mike Rubiglia on Broadway. Like, and if that's not my goal, then it's like I can't do it. And there's no in-between. And then you see this show. And it is sort of thematically understood. It mm-hmm. is sort of pay- the sort of understanding of how the stories work and how to build a set that feels like a stand-up set in terms of like, okay, you have a set list and we're going to do this one and this one and this one. But has a momentum that is clear without having to start by being like, this is, you know, like he does a little, he has an opening, yes, yeah. but like it's not, um, I'm going to tell you the story of my entire life and then like through these parts, like, and then next thing you know, the first story is 35 minutes long and like, and that alone is impossible. And that is just to set up the, the domino that falls. Like yeah. all he is doing is setting up the domino that is falling and you're laughing the entire time, but sometimes you're not when he's just trying to tell you what the situation is and he... All of it is sort of paced as if you could not do better. Like you could not, if you had a dramaturge and four years, you could not pace the set of how the story unfolds and where the comedy is and where the pathos is any better than he did by just sort of like organically pacing the story how the stand-up audience needed it to. And this is the model. I think this is like what people should look at that like if you're able to tell stories at all, to be like, oh, well, this is what a set can look like that is actually a special, that is actually a show. Because it is so compelling and so interesting. And like, that is the thing that Ali gets, which is like, I mean, he can do whatever. Like, he can tell stories about anything. He's funny. And, but like, he is more concerned about creating something interesting. And understanding who he is in the world that he's that explains it and that it's a fascinating watch. Like it's he doesn't need the camera's tricks. I don't know what would this look like with better camera tricks. The camera's like pretty it's a pretty nice looking as these YouTube specials go. Yeah, but it's not but, there are no frills here and it's there's very little edit. It's not like he's like cutting back and forth. I mean, there is some editing happening, but there's not like any yeah, kind of long takes fancy, yeah. you know, footwork as far as this camera and then this one and we're gonna cut to a close and then a far I mean, the camera is is so static, in fact, that he is seated for such a long time and then he stand all he does is stand up and you're like holy shit like it just feels yeah. like this massive striking change um which is also so effective and so powerful because yeah. he uses that among other things to emphasize when he is sort of portraying different characters and so you get a size differential between like when he is himself as his father and when he is himself as a child mm-hmm. and it's it's oh it's so good yeah i mean it's incredible it is an incredible ability to organically be able to do like essentially the equivalent to like what john leguizamo won obi's award or whatever and just like as via stand-up, not to say that he's not ambitious and that it's an accident. Like, Ollie's an incredibly deliberate person. This is clearly an attempt to do something great. Like, no one starts a set with 35 minutes of one story to be like, I'm just fucking around. Like, clearly he's just like, what I had in my pocket. Like, but what you get from both Gerard and Ollie 
fully different things as in some ways, but like they are both trying to create something great and they have the ability to do it. And and that's the thing of like we talk about sort of the ambition of the form and the function of, of Rothaniel. And this this has less technical ambitions or formal ambitions in that way. But in terms of text. Yeah. One whole story that is made up of full other whole stories that all make sense to it. The thing that is so incredible is he has this very notable part of his life. He's He was in prison for six years. And many comedians would be like, that's the interesting thing about me. I'm going to talk about it immediately on stage. And you can. And he has talked about it different parts of his career. But like what you're seeing here is a, a person old enough to really think about it. And put it all in this sort of context. And it, you know, you really get a sense of who the story they're trying to tell and what he's trying to say about the, you know, the effects of how you are as a parent and the effects of growing up in poverty and how the world looks as a kid and how the world looks as a parent because he is now a parent and how that affects all of it. You understand so much. And I want it to be studied, like truly, like I think this is it. Like all comedians, when they start doing sets, like think about like what he's doing because like this is as good as it really gets in terms of like really trying to think of a set and not thinking of it as a show. It secretly is a show and it doesn't feel like you don't get show, but like it, yeah, his ability of walking line between being stand up and being a show and a piece is like, is, you know, it really is as good as it gets. Yeah. And I mean, just want to emphasize one more time, like, Text, I think, is astounding and just unbelievably masterful. But part of what creates that sort of subtle sense of a show is that he has also thought about performance, right? He does not have craft of, say, cameras and sets and all and like all the kind of dramaturg stuff. But there are is very clearly um, very careful work being done about like his body and his movements and his affect in different places. And so that that can emphasize and really support the text in a way that is palpable without making it feel like I am an actor, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, but like him being himself as a kid, being yeah. at the grocery store with his parents, yes. right? Is like, oh my God, you know so much about this world. So good. <laughs> but the thing is, my daddy is fun. My mama is no fun. Because, see, my mama in a different situation. She raising two kids, trying to take care of everybody. My daddy is a bachelor. He living his goddamn life. So my daddy, a lot of fun, man. My first week in my daddy's house, my daddy was my first crab bowl. Yeah, we in the store, and we in the seafood section, and he see me looking at these crab. I'm looking at them crab. My daddy says, hey, boy. <laughs> you want some of them crab? Now, I don't know what to, I don't know how to respond because it's not my first time seeing these crab. I've been I've been in this store before and I've seen these crab with my mama. And my mama I'm in there looking at them crab. My mama say, "Boy, you want some of them crab?" I said, "Yeah." And my mama said, "Do you want to eat for a day or do you want to eat for a month?" I said. financial situation, huh? 
the crab was five ninety nine. My mama was like, shit, you ain't getting that. My daddy, fun. My daddy different. My daddy said, so, I, you know, when I said, yeah, got hollered at. So now I don't know how to respond. I'm, I'm. Put <laughs> that noise on your crab. I'm like, maybe. Shit, we can, you can add some of them crab shit. My man, my man, shit. How many crab you want? Oh, shit, you don't know what you want. Um, <laughs> let me get, um, let me get 15 pounds of them crab. I'm sitting there like, ooh, shit. We ain't gonna never eat again. It's a lot of crab, a lot of months. Anything else you want to say about them both? They rule. I don't know what to say. Yeah, sit down if you can do it. If you can pull it off, I guess you should sit down. If you can't pull it off, don't do it just to do it. So um, before we go to the other ones, I want to ask you about a thing which is um, that I know the the sort of famous example is the Hannibal Buress example of a special that was not on the notable, but then you realized at the end. And I want to talk about how you debate what like the differences between notable how a special can live with you and then change as it lives with you because that i think that is not like built into the vocabulary of reviews and not built into how people read reviews like there's a certain amount of being like a review is the like a score on a math test mm-hmm. right opposed to whatever you think a review is that that is so can you talk about both what are things that you're debating on and like what those debates sort of look like yeah. internally Yes, there is that sense of a review as like, that's it. It's the definitive. We did it. We did it one time. Um, I think we all internally understand that that is not how art works in our lives or like in our bodies. You watch something and it like stays with you or it doesn't. Or Mm. maybe it didn't and then something happened and then you thought about it again. You looked back and now it looks completely different. Um, I think that is something it is very easy to for like any casual viewer of anything to understand. Um, But it is sort of weirdly divorced from the idea of like objective critical reviewing as because we so rarely have from a yeah. workload standpoint, the opportunity to go back and be like, hmm, I'm and yet I don't, I would challenge you, any critic, any critic to be able to look at any review they've written and said like, oh yes, that's exactly how I still feel now any X period of time later, right? And so because we build these lists over the course of a year, there is always going to be some sense of revisiting and shifting as things kind of as more things come out, as you watch something else, as you remember or don't remember, as you happen to be like loading your kids into the car and then suddenly a joke occurs to you and then you think, huh, I guess that did kind of work mm-hmm. on me longer than I thought it would. All of those all of those kinds of things um, exist. And it is very much a part of what I hope that my review ideology is more broadly, which is that when you come and you read a Vulture review by me, you know it is by me writing mm-hmm. and interacting with a comedy re- comedy special and not some brain in a jar that has never had any kind of life experience or any kind of specific shaping cultural frame. Mm-hmm. Like, it's me. 
So it seems foolish to then say, like, I don't also change my opinion or rethink things. Um, and so it is not infrequent that I will watch a comedy special, have an immediate reaction, and then three days later, that reaction will, I don't want to say swap, but it will shift, right? It will sort of lean more one way or another. Parts of it that I thought were impressive, actually, it turns out there's something else that I thought was even more striking. I just hadn't really thought about it yet. I think sometimes there are specials that um, actually I will watch and go like, oh, that was nice. And then sort of later, it suddenly mm. arrives as whatever it was trying to be. And I just was not quite in the right mindset yet. Um, and so that's something I always I always try to be open to. Um, it seems foolish to deny it. Um, I was thinking sort of most specifically as I was looking at when this comes out, uh, this episode, and also when our recent list update comes out, there is a new Bill Burr special um, live at Red Rocks that I watched like the day before we recorded this. Mm. And it is an hour and 20 minutes long. And there is a lot of stuff in it. And I love a lot of it. And I'm not sure about some of it. And I'm sure you'll be able to read this when I like um, wrestle with it at re review length later this month, or earlier this month, actually, given when this episode yeah. will come out earlier this sure. month. Um, but at this moment, I don't know. And I I've just I, I would like for it to roll around in my head for a little bit before I sort of decide how how I feel about it. And um, I think that's something that is maybe useful to know if you're looking at the list and thinking like, why is this here? What? But also, why isn't this here? Yeah. Come on. Um, these things look objective and there's a pleasure to them as like best objective done. But that's always a lie. So yeah, I like the word so far for that because you're like so yeah. far means it's such a it's inherently a relative term. The um, I left Bill the Bill Burr special being like ultimately I left it liking more positive than you are, but also understand because like even going through the list that we're about to the specials that did make the list, there are specials that the first time I watched it. I was so focused on my problems with them that like all I can think of was like, well, they're not good because there's this sort of problem about them. And then you time goes on and you just remember them and you don't think about you're not reviewing them even without rewatching it. And all you can think about is like, oh, it like does it does this like it does yeah. a thing. Now it fails at doing the thing here, but also like it successfully like left me with a lot of the impressions of that they're trying to do now. A lot of that is hinged on things outside the content of the special itself, which is complicated because it's like I read an interview with a person. So now I'm filling in blanks that they didn't give me the text. But so it goes like that's the inherent um, nature of all of these things. This is like why artists do press. So then they their work exists in, in the context in which they're created, opposed to a vacuum in which they're reviewed or the vacuum that is implied they're reviewed in like. That's why we have a job is partly is or why I have a job more specifically is that so <laughs> it means like this is what it means. And you watch it's like, oh, now I understand that's what they meant. So then you can't get that out of your head. Yeah. Um, and so I think like, I you know, if I had to put money on, I think Bill Burr will be on your final list. But like, yeah. who knows what else is coming out? Like there's so, there's such a backlog all these places have. And there's all these YouTube special letters coming out that like 
there it's back to like what it hasn't been in a really long time of like a hundred something specials coming out in a year and determining how to define a year when there's that many is a very different job of like how to define a year of 10 when there's been 14 specials yeah yeah so um on that note one other note i would include earthquake just if you're listening and want to know what i like this is not to say i actually there's a few more i would have heard earthquake i would have included nikki glazer I, I would have included joel but this is all what is notable yeah so let's get into the rest of the list um this is going to be in alphabetical order by their last name if i did this correctly um so first is Cristela Alonso's Middle Classy, released on Netflix.com. Yes. Uh, so this is a special that I was looking forward to in part because I had seen her earlier stuff. It was been a long time. And uh, she also is somebody who I knew from TV because there was this sitcom that sort of famously was the center of um, – it was canceled early and then there was a lot of noise about like what kinds of shows make it on network television and what mm-hmm. shows don't have room. And so um, Christella as a voice is somebody who I was familiar with, but more familiar with in the context of say like press and the the sort of softening mm-hmm. effect of a sitcom. Um, and so I was interested to know sort of what, this special was going to look like, how much of any of that she was going to engage with, sort of how she is presenting herself as um, either an industry figure or not. I mean, all of these different kinds of things. Mm. And I was really, it was nice to see a special where it felt like an introduction again. Um, Mm. It feels like she is clearly speaking to an audience who she knows already know who she is many of them and also these are jokes that are meant to it's not like a fresh slate an empty slate but they sort of establish who she is as a voice who she is as as a sensibility um and is i think extreme just remarkably consistent from the beginning of the special through to the end like just solid hit it pause hit it pause total like um total control right yeah i i think the other thing that i was um that i was really noting is as i sort of suggested in that description the pace is yeah. extremely deliberative and she does this thing where she'll tell the joke and she will pause and she will just stand there smiling and then move on to the next thing and the way that that communicates and sort of the sort of combination of that sense of performative confidence and also a sense that she is twinkling a little bit at how broad some of the jokes are, I think is also really delightful and effective to me as far as the kind of comedy that she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and an additional fact of her smile, it is like textually also part of it because she talks about the teeth and she's like yes i you know i have money now i've been smiling so much lately i'm not even happy i'm miserable but i just got my teeth fixed and that shit was expensive so. (laughs) 
This is how I cry now. <laughs> I'm so sorry for your loss. <laughs> you can do better than him. <laughs> I swear to God, my teeth were so expensive. When I die, I want an open mouth casket. Like, Yes. Which is really funny. And, and then she tilts yeah, her head think, back and you can see all the way back. And they are indeed perfect, yes. <laughs> I think the consistency of tone and vision is like the thing that you get. I think, and it's a hard thing to articulate because, especially with comedy, there's certain sort of rules that get thrown around. And it, they're just rules that people use to reflect their sort of own comedy. And they're like, oh, comedy must be transgressive in this way. Or comedy must be honest in this way. or. Right vulnerable in this way or blah, 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 blah. And what gets lost is like comedy should be like an articulation of a person's perspective and like both ideally their world, but more so like how, what they find funny and like how they want to present themselves. And like, it's, it's like a good example. Like there's a part, there's a part of the special where she talks about going to the gynecologist for the first time at age mm -hmm. 42 or something like that. Cause she's never had a health insurance before. And someone had to explain to her, like, what you use health insurance. Well, Alonzo would experience doing this and how she would present it. And, like, every single joke in that joke is ex is so exactly to her voice. I find it amazing. Like, it is, it, it's the line of it. It's just sort of, you see her line. It's It's a fascinating thing to do because it's like, you know, it's. It's, I don't think she curses in it, but she's. It's like this. You're like this is a adult, but it's not like intentionally graphic in this yes. way. But it's not that way. Like, it's not a hundred percent coy. It's not it, all of it. It is so. Um, it is like truly being like asking a painter to do a still life and being like, this is what it looks like when she does it. It's like yeah. this is her version of articulating this story, and that's the thing that you get throughout the entire show, where it's like all feels a piece of a perspective of who she is at this point in her life and as a comedian. Yeah. Yes. I think um, the gynecologist exam is one that stuck with me. Another one that because it felt so, I'm going to say obvious, which sounds bad. And it, but I met, but I could feel the punchline coming. And yet I was still so happy when it got there is the joke about, her um, college roommate's mother taking her out to Italian mm. at Olive Garden. And then you get to, um, she knows what an Italian person is. And then a joke about Mario and then singing the theme song. But I didn't know I was going to meet other people that grew up in bubbles too. That threw me off. Right? My freshman year, my roommate, she was from Tennessee. She hadn't met a Latina before. Mm. <laughs> no one in her family had. Her mom was with her to drop her off, right? Her mom uh, wasn't sure if I spoke English. We had been talking all day. So I don't know what she thought, like maybe I was just gonna forget, run out of English halfway through the day, you know, like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, are you sure? No, yeah, no, no, no. Trial expired, upgrade, no, out of order, no. So my roommate's mom decides she's going to invite me out to dinner with them, but she's going to act out all the words to make sure I understood. So she was making it up as she went along, right? So she was like, hi. So 
I was wondering if you wanted to go with us to eat Italian. Like, why the fuck is this Italian? <laughs> do you know what Italian is? I do, I play Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, I know what, yes. I know what Italians are. I know the national anthem at do 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 The flag is right there. Yes, salute. All Italians are plumbers. Let's go. So I said yes because I had never eaten Italian. I am a 30-something white woman. I have heard countless Mario jokes in my life. And yet, the way that she is able to tell that joke, to perform the song, uh, to um, position herself, sort of to position it as a memory, to explain, to do just enough of the mom character, but like not a ton, the way that she does jokes where she switches between white voices and her voice, um, all of it is it is comforting in a way that I think it is difficult to make jokes about poverty and cultural mm. alienation comforting. Um, and I think that is also a, a really impressive feat. Yeah. I mean, she has a vision of what she wants her comedy to do and what and this is also post show, like what she wants her position as a person who is expected to represent certain things to do. And and what her voice means, like all of that. It's all a matter of like being an artist who has like control over their instrument or their brush or their whatever. And and that's the feeling you get of like this is on purpose. This is on this is exactly what she wants to articulate. Yeah. And that's a thing that is easier said than done. Like it really is the like when you talk about things with flaws, you're talking about people who like and and maybe are more ambitious in certain ways, but like ultimately failed the thing of like everything is consistent with the per the perspective that you're trying to communicate so speaking sort of the opposite of an attempt to be broad um the next one on our list is katherine cohen the twist she's gorgeous also on netflix.com seriously stop i'm shy <laughs> hello Oh my god. <laughs> I have an amazing voice. Well, look at me doing comedy in a rhinestone romper against all odds. Bet you're wondering how I got here. Well, baby, <laughs> I'll tell you. When I was a little girl gazing out my window, looking at the world, wishing time would just go on and on and on and take me to a new place where I'd sing a song and meet a fresh face. Hey, how do we find our calling? How do we know where we belong? If we harbor enough resentment in our teens, we can write a catchy and funny song. all of you to look at me 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 out look at me look at me look at me look at me ooh, ooh. 
So this is one that I watched, thought like, (laughs) and then I, as I thought about it longer, it just became a a pretty undeniable um, piece of like, this is a comedy special that feels to me like I know what this act looks like, and yet it's existence as a Netflix comedy special now for an entire country to watch is it is like watching something that has sort of bumped along in particular circles suddenly become a a mainstream part of like comedy Mm. language and that feels like an absolutely like you have to point out when that like that just it 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 is there Mm -hmm. now it exists right um and it also feels like it is a uh, it's it's odd because it's not like there's a bazillion Catherine Cohen specials out there in the world, and yet because the act is so well rehearsed, because this is something that she has been working on for so long, because it is sort of not just her, but coming out of this kind of comedy that has has been building for a long time, it still feels like some kind of um, cumulative, like, uh, pinnacle special, right? Uh, And so I think that's really um, hard not to say, like, yeah, that's, it it is incredibly, like, notable and important that this, that this exists now, Um, that it's a Netflix special for, in my head, because of also a lot of TV baggage that I have, like a Netflix special is like the broadest audience that there is, yeah, yeah. right? It is like showing up on CBS in 1983. And so that is his own kind of fascinating um, accomplishment. And uh, and I think the direction of it is also just incredibly effective in helping create the vibe Cohen is going for, the mood, the sort of cabaret, but twisted, um, close, intimate, too intimate, oh God, it's too intimate, and then it goes out Mm -hmm. again feeling. And I I, I think it's, I'm very excited to see what material she's working on now, but I'm just also so glad that this now exists so that you can say like, Obviously, there's this thing. It's this thing. We all have mm. it now, you know? Yeah, I think, and specifically, I'll call it the director, uh, is Steve Brill, who is most yeah. famous for, like, the Adam Sandler universe. But he also directed Adam Sandler's last special. And he's been working with Catherine on it for a while. So, like, it's something you get very rarely, which is, like, a special that, like, the director was part of, the film language was part of developing the show. Um, I think the thing that, even maybe even more so, like I I heard of every single almost every single joke in this special I've heard before because I've been familiar with Catherine for six, seven years now or whatever it is. Um, but then time goes by and we're not and you just think about it, and you're like, you kind of get the ability to try to imagine what it's like to not see any of this, to live not in New York City in the last five years. To be like a 17-year-old or whatever who lives still in suburban wherever um, and you see this. And it's truly like, I assume it's like being teleported. Like, yeah, this sort of style of, ca- you know, like cabarets existed for, for a long time. And then there's sort of been these comedians who sort of exist in cabaret spaces, but like did not really like also exist in comedy spaces for increasingly like the sort of only previous overlap in mainstream circles was like Sandra Bernhardt. And 
um, so the cabaret had developed and then sort of comedy had developed. And then over the last seven years, through a variety of deliberate attempts to sort of integrate these worlds and transformative figures. Um, and also drag, right? Like you can't. Yeah, and drag yeah. and the popularity of drag yeah. and a lot of queer people being comedians, like all these things sort of happening at once and sort of sensibility had developed five years, seven years ago in many different types of the sensibility. It's not like one sensibility they're all doing it. But like Catherine articulated a type of comedic persona that so many people have. Like, so her first special is coming out and she's already influenced like two generations of people. So it's like this weird thing of usually the influence is this special, but because of how quick social media works is that there's people with platforms now that like are directly influenced before the person who's like more successful has their sort of big thing. But then you sort of forget all the blah, blah, blah. And you're like, this is a a voice and it's a perspective and it's truly an impossible feat. And I do think they achieve this is, and I, and I have to imagine this is the goal of Steve as the director is like, we have to make you believe both. She is a star and we are making fun of, the idea that stars exist and yeah. somehow do both somehow give you star quality. We're going to make it. She's going to glow. We're going to do certain things. There's the part that you point out in your review. She she cries a little bit and it's like, yeah. looks like um, uh, a disco ball, like that type of lighting. It's all miraculous. And also allows her to undercut it, but not fully undercut it. And she's also to be like the parts where she's not singing that are so honest. And and it all works. And is so many funny things happen in it. Like, you can succeed at doing this special and it'd be like 30% less funny. Or trying to be yeah. 30% less. Like, just the idea is exciting. And I think if she did just the idea and did songs... And the songs had a funny premise, but they mostly were songs. It would work and be compelling and we'd get the idea. But also there's like nine million jokes in every song. And they all are. Every song is a funny song. That's not easy. Songs like full funny songs. Like what Adam Sandler realizes was last special is like, oh, if you sort of just do the funny part of the song, the song only needs to be like 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Sometimes not even that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Full songs, bridges like and the bridges are funny and do a different thing comedically. This is like. It and so it's like, oh yeah, this is exciting. This is so exciting that this exists. And I I mean like it's hard to know how big of a deal these things are. Like Netflix is this both thing of it's like this giant platform, but also like it hardens bubbles. So you're like, this is the biggest special ever. And it's like, oh no, it's just sort of all your friends are exactly the same. But yeah. It's that same thing of just sort of like she she did it. She had she had a concept and I think she's able to translate a concept that is so specific to New York city over the last five, six years and be one of the examples of like, this is what the comedy of this time looks like. Right. That's yeah. the thing of like, yeah, this is what the comedy of the time looks like. This will be the example. People, us, I mean like these fictional historians, like literally us in this moment right now, will point to, because it's like the, this is the, the rare specials that have gotten out to be, and, and the last thing I'll say is that she built this, as a show she's yeah. always been doing this as a show she did edinburgh like it's is the show this is her thing she did sets but like this was the show and and that also helped of like oh there's a sort of vision to it and like sure it's it's not her fault that people are like oh i should also do this sort of like ironic 
mm-hmm. feminism not also being feminist thing like yeah yeah that's a credit to her <laughs> <laughs> that tear i mean it is just it's it's so great and i it's hard to imagine somebody doing Miss Piggy better than Miss Piggy, but if anyone could do it, it's Catherine Cohen. That's it's so funny. It's like, yeah, that's exactly it. We're right back with more Catherine Van Aerdonk and the best specials of the year so far. Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? Or what was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast Wikihole from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes in Wikipedia with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to Wikihole, you'd learn that that's the sciencey term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how did we get here? Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or an Apple Podcasts. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. And we're back with Catherine Van Arendonk talking about the best specials of the year so far. So next up is Mike Epps, Indiana Mike, Netflix.com. We got the Mayor Hoxett in the house. Y'all give it up for the Mayor Hoxett! Mayor Hoxett! Me and him was drinking all day today together. That's what I like about it. He don't give a fuck. He be on them commercials lit as hell. Yeah, get another drink and go deal with these idiots. Mary Hawk said, y'all, give him a round of applause. We got a lot of great people in the house. Andre Carson, y'all. Andre Carson! Andre Carson! For the hood! For the hood! You hear me? Yeah, man. That's how we doing it in Indiana. Shit. Yeah, man. We got a lot of great people in the house. We got a, the hood mama, Miss Bimmery in the house! Give it up for Miss Bimmery! She done helped all kind of niggas get out of jail around the neighborhood. She one of them black women, if the police got you on the car, she'll come down there, what the fuck did he do? Get the fuck out of his face. You better not hurt him, motherfucker. We'll be down there to get you, baby. Nigga in the back seat, go tell my mama I love her, Miss Bamry. 
we talk a lot about like what makes a special a special and we as we have already in this episode and and in the any other number of times that we talk about this it tends to be stuff about form about um the way that a show is conceived as a whole piece about uh the way something like visuals you know camera work and sets and and performance can all add to that sense that it's not just a show that you went to uh this is a show that you went to like this is you went to a show Mm -hmm. but the production of this particular special and the way that he interacts with the audience and the sort of idea that he is perpetually pinging against over and over again in the title obviously but just sort of throughout the hour is like hey i'm here we're home and the audience i i do not like audience reaction shots almost always and i wanted more of them here right Mm -hmm. like he just is this absolute party happening in this theater and the audience is a willing participant in it in the same way that like an audience is being manipulated to be in Rothaniel somehow. Like they are just all there to put on this show together. Yeah. And he is thrilled and and is sort of embraces that. Like that is the that is the idea of what this hour is meant to be. And it's not like Catherine Cohen is standing there and saying, like, we're in Brooklyn right now, but you can kind of feel it. And that's kind of the, this is where we are. And there's, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I, I am such a huge sucker for suddenly having this sense of like place and being transported to a place that, that is not mine. And I get yeah. to feel like I was there and I don't get the, jo- I don't get some of the inside jokes. And yet I can see that they work and they play and they're fun. Um, and I just wish, I wish there was like I wish hyper locality even because I think there's this idea that it's alienating, right? That like I've I don't know where this place is. These jokes don't, and it, it is absolutely the opposite for me in almost every instance where that hyper locality is instead a form of like I I feel the way people respond to it and it works on me. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. I think that's. It's a great title for the special because truly, like, more than I expected, he would be like, one more thing about Indiana, one more thing about Indianapolis. This is the thing about, oh, the mayor's here. Let me talk. It, like, it's the pacing of the special is bizarre to me. Mike it's very does bizarre. not do transitions. He, does, he just no. starts a new thing. But, like, yeah. but that's how people talk. Like, there is a way of it. Like, he, though his stuff is fairly rehearsed clearly and he's doing specific act outs because he's just sort of like talking and then he keeps on bringing it back. It shows the thing that I think so many more specials should do, and they don't for a variety of reasons, especially in the inter- in the age of the internet. Like, I think physical spaces were so um, dislocated from physical spaces, and and especially if you're streaming, there's so there's so there's a weightlessness to content, and so like being in a place gives you that. The problem is there's been such a history of people opening their specials. Like you open a set, which is like one joke yeah. about where you are. We're and in Denver. Hard... Yeah. And then you're like, you guys are high here. And then you just sort of move on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's good for a set. And those jokes can be funny. But the problem, it and so that's nothing against doing that. I, just, I understand doing that. But it's 100%. more a matter yeah. of like, 
I understand why comedians are like, well, that's not that we, should, we don't need to do more than that because like even that's maybe more than we need to do. It's like actually, if you do do more of that, and if the place matters to you, or or if you work really hard, like the Jacksonville and Cat Williams is the sort of most extreme example. But yeah. especially when the place matters to you, you're shooting in Chicago, you're from Chicago, that matters to you. That's actually kind of what the show's about. Because if your right. show's going to be not about anything else, that's what it could be about. Well, same thing like. If you're doing a special in Madison Square Garden, kind of the special should be about I'm doing a show in Madison Square Garden. It shouldn't be like, here's the show I'm doing. It's in Madison Square Garden, coincidentally. Like, yeah. That's why, like, I like when sets are, like, live from blah, blah, blah. Like, if that makes sense. Like, so you should lean into it. And I do think it does the thing of... Because the hard part about specials is you're not there. And... And depending on the nature of who you are, the audience is aware that they're not there. And and all you're trying to do is lessening the effect of that. And now do I feel like I was in that room? No, but the sort of effect of it is less because I feel I understand the space more. And it's, it's all these sort of abstract ideas. But like ultimately, you're just sort of like, oh, I, I feel like what it must feel like to be from Indiana. I don't know what it is. And like, but but he so clearly hits it it is a state-sized version of sitting down on the stage and like Mm. waiting for the audience to show up in your space right um just because i i know that i'm not in the room doesn't make it less appealing for me if you know where the room is and i can like look into it Mm. otherwise i'm just looking into an empty box and like you're trying to make things look real and it is, I mean, maybe it's an incredible, giant, p- potentially cheap shortcut to be like, the box is a state that exists and I'm going to fill it with yeah, other yeah, people yeah. who know about that state. But guess what? Shortcuts work because that's mm-hmm. why they're shortcuts. And it it just, um, when we all stare at Zoom screens all the time, right? It is so appealing to just feel like people are in a space together. Yeah, I mean, it's not a shortcut. It's 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 framing devices. It's creating context. Like, that's what it really is. It's like yeah. all comedy needs context. And the better your ability in a comedian's job, um, I, you know, like and a comedian starting out, all they have to do is try to jump into the existing context of the club. Oh, the club is like this. I need to be like this. And then the audience will laugh because I'm fulfilling the idea of what this room is. Once you get better at comedy, and especially once you start playing in theaters or whatever your job is to create context that's the job writing jokes that's easy you can do that you don't even have to write jokes like ultimately the context is yourself so much so that you can just like talk in a way and the audience will laugh because you've created the rules and specials have a way of removing that context and in a way that like causes so many problems like a lot of the times where it feels like comedians misstep or transgress in ways that it go above bounds is because they're responding to a line of a night that is not a line seven months later when you're watching it on your phone. So all of these things are so necessary and increasingly necessary. And it works. Like, I mean, it'll become a problem if every single comedian does this always, but like the idea of bringing people in when you're so aware you're not in the room, you're wearing watching pajamas, the guy on stage is wearing a tuxedo, everyone else is you're watching it during the day, it's nighttime, whatever. 
anything you can do, if you yeah. can do it in a way that feels natural, it's really a success and a thing that like it and that because and because he calls it Indiana Mike, it like works. It works as a piece. Because it works. You're, like, it works so well. It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> um. So next up is Josh Gondelman, People Pleaser, released on VOD. Yes. Is that how you say I it? personally watched it on Apple TV, I think. Something I'm like not that. gonna say where I watch it. No one has paid me. No. <laughs> I want to tell you a story before I go about my wedding, and it's a good story. It's about the second best moment of my wedding. And I should say, I should set the stage by saying our wedding was really fun. It was like a little unconventional. Like we didn't let anyone speak. <laughs> not like overall. Like it wasn't like a hipster meditation wedding. <laughs> We were like, no vows, just vibes, brah. <laughs> we didn't let anyone give toasts. Because I feel like half the toasts you're going to hear at any wedding are going to be terrible, right? <laughs> Often from men. Because, <laughs> again, I don't think that's something a lot of straight guys, get, we give ourselves this emotional access to, to be tender with our friends. So it just comes out real aggressive. <laughs> Bridesmaid speeches, almost always really great, right? They're all very similar, but they're all very lovely. Every bridesmaid speech is like, Lisa, first of all, you are a goddess. <laughs> that white dress, I can't even right now. You are like a living, breathing Beyonce. Hashtag flawless, hashtag woke up like that. <laughs> and it is so beautiful to be here with you while your childhood dream comes to life. Just the way the Ouija board said it would when we were nine years old. <laughs> Congratulations, I love you so much. Then they kiss with tongue, women do that when they're friends. Not a big deal, no stigma, just pals being pals. <laughs> It's nicer that way. Every groomsman speech I've ever witnessed may as well have been delivered by the groom's worst enemy on planet Earth. Every dude comes out just like, hey, Maddie! Fat Matt. Count Crapula. See, we call him that because one time in elementary school, he pooped his pants on Halloween in a Dracula costume. <laughs> Remember that? I know you do, Count. Ah, 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 ah. Anyways, I never thought she was gonna be married. I never thought you were gonna be married. I swear to God, never thought in a million years. I always assumed you would have died years ago while having sex with a candle up your microwave. That's just what I thought was gonna happen. What you said, be honest. I'm talking from the heart. Shut up, Fitzy, let me finish. I'm being nice, it's a funny story. <laughs> this guy. Anyways, I don't know whether you got like some kind of cage you keep this woman in at night. Oh, like a complicated financial arrangement that makes it difficult for her to flee you, but... Either way, bro, you locked it down, so congratulations, no homo. Where the bridesmaids at? And that's every groomsman speech I've ever witnessed. And every single time, I'm like, that guy's the best man? He's the best one of those you've ever met? What are your other friends, scarecrows full of bees? Your life has been a nightmare. So this is the kind of special where, like, this is somebody who does not have the thing that Indiana Mike gets to have, where he's like, we're going to go to Indiana, and this is going to be in my hometown. I'm going to fill it with the mayor who knows me and cares about me and, like, who I've got 20 years. Like, this is a special where it was a room and people, and, like, you can feel, I mean, the set looks lovely. The the um, direction is very good, but all of the context has to come 
all of that heavy lifting of personality has to come from the comedian, right? And uh, I think it is by he starts out by talking about what he looks like and who he is in his voice. He is able to then translate that into, I think, some really effective moves about particularly about his relationship with his wife, which is a, a familiar kind of like wife guy. Um, it is a really interesting way of positioning yourself as the minor character when you mm -hmm. are the only person on stage, mm -hmm. right? And as like a narrative device, I always find that fascinating. There are very few like novels that exist where the point is that there's a narrator, but that the narrator is saying like, that's actually the main character over there. And to sort of use that as, which he does several times throughout the special, um, to say like, I now fight these battles on behalf of my wife. There's the whole, there's the long sublime joke, which I think yeah. is sort of the big set piece in the middle. Um, it really emphasizes a comedic persona that is is super is distinctive. Um, and I I have to say is also very different when you are somebody like. Gondelman, who I think is familiar to a specific set of people on like Twitter and like Brooklyn, but like certainly not in the same way that, you know, a massive superstar comedian is. Because what I was thinking of was I was thinking about uh, last year or the year before the Seth Meyers extreme wife guy special, right? I'm just laughing because Josh brought up the exact, I was like, you're now one of the tour of the like the original wife guy the original kings of wife guy comedy and he's yeah. like yes yeah, seth would headline that tour <laughs> yeah but it's different right it's different when you're seth myers and you're saying my wife is the actual superstar because mm -hmm. we as an audience are already laughing because we know you we you're seth myers and it is much inherently funnier and like more effective as a joke for me if you are not as like superstar famous face and you're like actually my wife is the much more interesting and like sort of striking personality and it is so consistent with the rest of the comedic sensibility that he builds that i think it really makes the special um, have that kind of distinctive uh, flavor in a way that is very hard to create when you are, again, in a space in a sort of special mm. shooting location that was not necessarily designed to play up exactly who you are and what you want the, a special to be. Yeah. I, I, I will not recuse myself, but I do want to offer a few disclaimers. I am friends yes. with Josh. I am friends with his wife. I've been friends with his wife longer than I'd known Josh. When Josh started doing stories about his wife, I was like, this is fun. This is sort of like <laughs> hearing prepared material about like you, you'd get at a dinner party. Our other good friend, Jason, is the first audience cutaway. Like, um, So like these are all disclaimers. So it's not going to be like. You know, you watch a special and you think, that guy's my friend. Like, I watch this. That's literally what it feels like. So I can't say anything like that. But I will say, um, like Catherine, you know, the difference between this and Catherine is Catherine I've seen grow. But ultimately, this is a special of like a culmination of a part of her show. So we don't see where you don't get the full growth, which is fine because she'll have her next special. But like Josh is a comedian I've known for... I'm trying to think of when I first met him, probably about 10 years ago. 
And what is noteworthy about the special to me is like how you see a comedian who has like figured out how to better and better and better articulate a perspective that started as not necessarily generic, but like, you know, his, his first album, he talks about being a nerd. Right. So, and, and there was a time where everyone was calling themselves nerds and you're like, well, yeah, I kind of guess that's what you are, but like, and then he just was figuring it out. And like, the idea of people pleaser and sort of the play on that is a sort of really interesting idea. And he, ex- he doesn't explore it by being like, when I was a little kid, this happened. And then I developed whatever, but like two things he's interested in. He's interested in stories where he's like a nice optimistic guy. And what does that mean? And what are the problems with that? And yeah. what trappings happen to a person who does that? And what is that in contrast to? Um, so there's like so many examples of that, but like, um, the, the story of his wedding and like that story I've heard many different times. A part of that story is this happened because he said yes to a thing that maybe he didn't need to say yes to, but someone asked him to. And yeah. that sets up a different story than just sort of like my life's so random, right? <laughs> like, and that's, that's the differences. These sort of setups change the stories. Um, the other thing Josh is interested in, which also feeds into the theme of people pleasing is like, he wants to write jokes. He is of a, um, Gary Goldman School of Thinking, which is like my job. Not even my job. I like doing jokes. I like writing things that are good. I like when the audience laughs at it. I'm going to put a lot of jokes in it. I am able to do it. I'm professionally good at writing jokes. And when people are that good at writing jokes, you forget that it's actually like, it's a rare skill of a, to get to behold. Like truly like a person who has like all these different little phrasings and like... Yeah. And... um. And that's special and rare, but like what makes it feel like of a piece is the like, and again, I don't know, maybe it's just because I know him, but I, I, even as a person who knows him, I feels like, um, like Christella, like so many of like, oh, this is sort of a worldview that he has. And that's a worldview that's a complicated one to p- try to pull off of like yeah. being optimistic in 2022. Yeah. Like trying to pull that off is actually kind of hard and subversive in a way because so much of comedy is defined as like either the world is sucks the world sucks for this reason or like you guys are ruining the world for me a 55 year old zillionaire or sometimes um i suck as a person and like isn't that funny right so like to remove all of that is actually quite not only subversive but hard to pull off and yeah it's like playing on hard mode yeah 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 which is You'd think like, oh, but people like nice people. It's like kind of, but like people hate nice people usually. Well, or like if it's not if that's not what you're going to the show for, and then someone's nice, you have to figure out how to um do it in a way where they understand kind of like what they're getting out of it. Um, like oh, this is in contrast to the last person you saw who was talking about they're this and they're that and doing this and doing that. Like all of that is a matter of being thoughtful about like what you're bringing to the stage. And that is like, again, the thing that I feel like we're hammering on. Yeah. All right. Next up, um, Norm MacDonald's Nothing Special, uh, Netflix. Yes. So this is uh, the kind of special that I am talking about when I say that the list reflects things that I feel like are both good but also notable, right? Mm. And I think it would be very difficult and baffling to look at this particular special and say, like, this is the best of Dorm McDonald. This is yeah. 
Um, this is the way that you are going to have the best sense of sort of who he is as a comedian and what his whole deal is. I mean, it's just not. Yeah. It is a special that was filmed because of his uh, sort of dire medical circumstances at the time and because he was not sure if he would ever be able to perform it in front of an audience, but he had this material, wanted to record it. And as a result, it looks like a COVID special. You know, he is sort of in uh, an office looking at a screen. It is um, he does not get to play with an. He has none of the things that you want in a mm. Norm Macdonald special. He does not have an audience that he is messing with. They are in his head, right? And it's just never going to be as effective. The jokes, I think, some of them are are fantastic. I think some of them are like, eh. And he, it is like a compulsive need to need to perform them is why this special exists. And watching it, I found it to be a really moving experience nevertheless. And can I divorce that from the context of his death and why this special exists and the last several years? Absolutely not. Yeah, no it way. would be it would be insane to try to say that you ever could, right? And um, and I don't think that that means that you have to say like this is a this is the best Norm Macdonald special or even like one of the best pieces of comedy of the year. But I nevertheless feel like it is an important special to watch and an unusual special to exist because of what the last couple of years have been like for everyone. Because of how difficult it has been to figure out how to have sort of collective grief over loss in the last several mm -hmm. years. Um, because I think it is, it is challenging to make art, particularly stand-up comedy, under any kind of circumstances that do not allow you to stand on a stage in front of a crowd. Um, and because even though... This is like the opposite of the ideal circumstance to watch Norm Macdonald do comedy. It is amazing to watch him perform these jokes and sort of have in his mind what an audience would react, mm -hmm. how they would react, how long you hold it, how you sort of move your head so that you're sort of engaging them or denying them or responding to them and feel yourself saying like, yeah, that's right. That's probably the right amount of time. I, I That's it. Uh, it is, it is an impressive, an impressive feat. And I also need to talk about the fact that there's this then section at the end where you have a lot of uh, several comedians yeah. all sitting around a couch talking about him. That is a different part of this special that I, that I think is um, is kind of a mess, frankly. But it is part of the special. But I mean, it like, is that's absolutely part noteworthy. of the special. It, is, it included the same. You don't stop and then go be like a conversation about the thing you watch. It starts off with scroll. Let's explain the context. You see this set and then. The set ends and you see David Letterman, Dave Chappelle, Adam Sandler, Molly Shannon, and David Strude? David Spade, yeah. Watching it. Yes. So then in some ways it's like a, the special is a like then you're like, oh, there's a special about processing watching it. Like it's actually yes. opposed to like this thing exists, 
And we're going to talk about it. Yes. I think the panel discussion itself has is what I mean when I say it's a mess. But the existence of that panel discussion at the end is, for me, inextricable from, like, the poignancy and the sort of weight of what this special is. And I can't imagine trying to produce any version of this without then, like, creating a space for some audience to process it and trying to make it have any impact in people's lives. Um, I thought about this one a lot. Uh, and and I, I'm very glad that it is on the list. But I also feel like there have to be all these disclaimers because it is a special mm. full of disclaimers, full of circumstances and oddities and and sadness um yeah yeah because it's like dave Chappelle brings this up which is like i need to apologize to drew michaels who he means to be drew michael because he did a special without any audience which is crazy because you're like i didn't know dave like the dave Chappelle interacted with all this thing also, is really bizarre to me such a weird thing to say like as like At one of beginning. your first thoughts after the first thing yes but his point, and they're both like, you can't do stand-up without, because David Letterman's like, oh, you can't do stand-up without the audience. He'd be like swimming in a pool without water, I think is what they said. If not, I, it's weird that I made that up on the spot. And um, and I think he is wrong, obviously. That's like my whole thing. But like the thing about the Drew Michael special, which had some flaws in terms of like the the content of the words he was talking about, but the idea that Drew Michael would do a special without an audience is an interesting thing for a comedian like Drew Michael to do because Drew Michael's relationship to the audience is different than Norm's. Drew Michael yeah. doesn't need the audience in the same way. And the fact that the audience is there is a conflict for him because of a variety of things about his life, most notably that he has suffered from hearing loss. That made sense. There's flaws that he acknowledges, whatever, but that made sense. It made sense to do it, all of it. If it wasn't for the other context, there's no world in which it makes sense for Norm MacDonald to do a special like this. It is yeah. a tremendous disservice to his talents and his artistry and his craft. There are jokes that he is playing with like what is and is not funny in a way that does not make sense if there's not people there. Yeah. The obvious example is he has the joke about um, stewardesses. He's like, back in my day, we had a name for male flight attendants. You know, I'll tell you one thing I don't miss is airplanes. I don't like airplanes. And I finally figured out why. After years of therapy, I figured out why I don't care for the airplanes. I don't like the crashing and dying in the airplane. That's what it is, you know? Hey, by the way, I, I got a little tip for you if you fly on an airplane. Always pick the exit row. Choose the exit row. That way, you get a extra, like, two, three uh, inches of leg room, you know? And all you have to do to get the, uh, the exit row is to lie. That's right. You just lie, you know? The stewardess comes up, flight attendant! <laughs> flight attendant! I'm, I apologize, words are different now. When I was young, uh, if you were a flight attendant and you were a lady, we would call you a stewardess. And if you were a flight attendant and you were a man, we would call you a, uh... wait, what? What are you guys thinking? Good Lord, what's wrong with you? I'm outraged, I'm outraged, I tell you. I'm outraged at what you are thinking. 
just because I paused for a second. I was going to say a steward. If you're a flight attendant, you were male, we used to call you a steward, you know? But words have changed, folks. That's the way things go, man. That does not make sense without who was the you're thinking. Um, (laughs) And so it's like, and, and Netflix knew that, or whoever produced it, whoever's decision was, knew that, like, if we just put this up there, it will be bad. Like, Netflix does not have enough con- context. If you just put this on here, people are like, why did they... What is this? Like, yeah. So they needed the disclaimer, but even more than the disclaimer, you know that, like, you're c- most people are watching it. They're not engaging with it in the same way you do a comedy special. You're sort of... Wa- you're engaging with it as a, like... You, you know, like... You know, Drew talked about how when they screened Drew Michael that special, the audience laughed in places. If you played this in an audience, they I can't imagine they would laugh. It, they'd be watching it like a documentary. You might get a little a, like a chuckle, but that's sort yeah, of the yeah, most you're like, getting. And so that's it's compelling. Now, do I think the talk after captures the gravitas? No, and I don't know why. And maybe because David Spade was there. Like, no offense to David Spade, but like. I think of like especially Chappelle, Adam Sandler, and modern day Letterman as people who were like can pull off being like saccharine, and especially Sandler and Chappelle are like really good at talking about death in a in a sweet way that I kind of just wish it was like, and I wish it was just like a podcast where Dave Chappelle and Adam Sandler just talked about Norm without the fake room they had to sit in, but. Oh, Conan yeah, was no, there, no. too. We forgot about oh, Conan. Conan, Conan was, was there. And Conan is yes. another person, like, and assuming David Spade was there, or if not, I've equated, is, like, no offense to Conan, but, like, when Conan's on camera, he's, you know, he's yeah, yeah. Mr. Showbiz, where, like, he doesn't have the, like, I can be heavy-hearted in public that, like, Adam Sandler and Dave Chappelle are so good at. And you missed that. You're actually, like, I kind of wish this, like, they felt sadder and not just, like, we're in a room. <laughs> And not letting Molly Shannon talk. I wish, yes, they should have let Molly Shannon talk. I think the other problem actually for me was Chappelle because part of what he was bringing was like I had fewer interactions with Norm and like these are the memories I had of him. Mm. And then Letter, it just like everyone came in with a different brief. Letterman kept trying to ask about like the special itself. Nobody else really wanted to engage with that Mm. as a conversation, whether it's because they felt like it wasn't you know, what they wanted it to be. Like, it just is a very weird um, yeah. concept. Like, no, nobody was on the same page about what they were there for. Yeah. Uh, Other than they wanted to do it. But yeah, I think yeah. it should have been just, I don't know who, someone interviewing Adam Sandler. Cause Adam yes, like, it really should have been somebody interviewing Adam Sandler is what it should have been. Because, like, you can do a one-shot Adam Sandler, like, thinking, and you'd be like, this oh guy my God, is really I'm, I'm going weeping it. thinking about it, yeah. I, I literally am grinding Adam Sandler being <laughs> Um next up is Moses Storm White Trash HBO Max. Crazy will always beat scary. Do you know what I mean by that? It's not a great thesis, it's not profound, but legitimately, that is the closest I have come to forgiveness in my life. So for most of my life, my mom was a single parent, five kids, no child support. We were on food stamps. When those ran out, we would dumpster dive for food. A lot of people find it hard to believe that I was ever that poor. 
Cause I, I, look at this shit. <laughs> like, not only do I look like, yeah, everything just like worked out. <laughs> I look like the kind of like white wealthy, I look like I was conceived at an Ivy League acapella concert. <laughs> Shibby do wop, my dad owns every university. Shibby do wop, what is adversity? It's not just rich either, right? It is like evil rich, right? It is like a Game of Thrones, King Joffrey type of rich. It looks like I found a way to monetize human suffering. I run a for-profit private prison. Or even worse, I, I have a YouTube prank channel. Like, uh, they all look like me. It's a guy committing like a crime on camera. And he's like, what? It's a prank, bro. What's up? I'm Kyler. And today we're about to steal this old woman's insulin. I watched this special. This is one of the first specials that I watched that was like, we're in 2022 now. It's a new year of comedy. And I, I felt so excited and frustrated by it sort of in the same breaths and i my initial reaction to it was the frustration actually um because there were so many things about it that i could see that it wanted to be and i felt like it just wasn't quite there it is a incredibly conceptual special um that is perhaps too conceptual in some way. Like it is just feels like somebody who is so excited to be able to get mm-hmm. every single thing that they have been thinking about into the special yeah. and you, and, and, um, and it's all there. And it, when I say every single thing, I mean, but as ideas, but then also if you have not seen it, he is standing on a stage that is surrounded by piles of trash that have all been painted white. And, and so, he's wearing all white. and he is wearing all white, and he has a little headset mic, like some kind of very creepy, like um, evangelical speaker or TED talker, which is deliberate and is part of the concept, and the whole thing is part of the concept. But then you're just also feeling like, I wanted it to have more space to become a thing before it had to be filmed as the thing, and so my primary reaction to it was this frustration between the gap of what I saw it is and the thing that I wanted to see it be. Mm-hmm. And with time, the thing that I think about is not the gap, but instead the thing that I mm-hmm. that I can see it trying to be. And I I would always prefer to lean toward thinking about like how exciting it is when people are like, these are, I have so many ideas, right? I have so many ideas and I can feel them all. And I'm, I, I like, there are so many bells and whistles happening. I wish there were fewer bells and whistles. Like this, at some point, the stage becomes a screen. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not manic. It is, it is controlled. Mm -hmm. But I, I wonder if, with more time, he might have taken a few things out and then everything could have breathed and sort of felt deeper. This, the ideas could have hit a little harder um, and you had more of a sense of the idea, like 
the things that he was trying to convey and was so, it's so impressive to be able to approach a special so early also in your career with this much ambition. And now thinking about it, my primary response is, I'm so glad that he is trying mm-hmm. to think about things on this scale, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think about it very fondly. I think of moments and not just like jokes, but I'm able to sort of like picture big sections of it. And I think of those sections as successful. And I think like the stage being a screen is like a way of doing a thing that people have not been able to integrate. And it did feel like he literally like took notes we've given to other specials being like, I have this footage and I want to integrate it, but I want it to feel integrated. So I'm going to be on that on the stage. And then I was like, I wrote down like the world is a stage and the stage is a screen. And it's like, what is that saying? Like, <laughs> like there's so many ideas in it and you leave it with time being like, you know, not Rathaniel of like, there's so many ideas and there's so many stories and they're all did it. And it's like a magical little thing that is created. But you leave it being like, have a sense of the vision of what he's trying to do with this stuff and just sort of really pleased with like a person who's trying. Like earlier, um, a couple, maybe a month ago or two months ago, I can't even remember at this point, we did a package about the modern stand-up special. And like partly we're talking about like, yeah, it's kind of just like just Bo and Gerard and like Gerard and Drew Michaels doing it. But like, you know, it's like those three guys and it, everyone's trying a little bit harder, but no one's like really going for it. And then you're like, there are people really going. For oh, it. yeah. Like, and that he, they want to and are able to like whatever is shoot towards the moon because either way you're going to get stars or land you know, in the like, stars. Yeah, there is a lot of it that really works. And you get a perspective on his life that is a specific thing. The idea that it ends on a cliffhanger. And I love <laughs> that. That is one of my favorite things about it. Not only is it end on a cliffhanger, the thing I've been thinking about recently is it's setting up a prequel to the thing you're listening to. Because I guess spoiler alert, like this is so weird to spoiler alert a special, but like um, this is kind of growing up below the property line was that mean and then he's like also so you know like it's not we didn't do this this way we're below the poverty line because my family and he's like my family's part of this cult that happened before the story you're hearing it is so it is like all of that the idea that you would set up a special that has not been worked on yet right he has not started working on it he has, doesn't have a contract to do it and that you're saying in the future someone's going to watch the special you're you're going to do, assuming that it is all of it is like, I can't just leave it being like, it's so cool that yeah. someone's doing it. And it's wor- for content worthy of this much ambition. Yeah. Like, he's not like, I have all these ideas, but it's all just to do jokes about. Um, Men are like this and, and women. Even if you. To be fair, if he wanted to do all this ambitious stuff, but just do like one-liners about how men are like this and women are like that, that would be fascinating. But like he understands how it needs to be integrated. Yeah. And he understands that this is part of telling this story. But as time has gone on, I more and more think like I wish the industry like was built to give him more time. Yes. Not like I'm mad at him yes. for 
doing a this product. I'm 100%. more like he got this close despite the fact that the the industry was like we don't want you to do this. So you're You have to figure out how to do bits of this in clubs and random places where they have no idea what your deal is. Like yeah. yeah so like it is so then all I'm left with is the achievement of it and that is and I'm happy. I'm great. Like I was like this is great. I'm yeah. happy that like um people will see this and be like oh there is this bar again it's like when ambition is only defined by certain things it like it makes it so people are like yeah i'm just gonna do nothing then it's like if ambition is only the new one on broadway or rathan you know people like or inside you're like well you know that's not what we do it's like well Moses worked his thing out in clubs. Yeah. He figured out how to do this. He directed it himself. Like this is this is like you have this potential. And and that that sort of formal invention is like I mean it it's notable. It should be celebrated. And, yeah. Um, I just also want to say like for as much as I think there are a lot of ideas here and sometimes they don't all work and sometimes it's not even that the ideas aren't working, but that like the material hasn't quite figured out how to support the ideas so that they land right. I mean, yeah, it's not that they don't work. It doesn't. You could see how good they could work if it's like they all work. There's nothing about this like. Other than one part, which he has noted, which like the whole thing was supposed to be structured as a con and that that is not necessarily communicated for a variety of reasons. Yeah. But like everything works. It's just a matter of like we see his all of it. We know enough about con to be like, oh, if he just sort of had more time. Yeah. And it wasn't a pandemic, blah, blah, blah. You can see where everything fits harmoniously. Yeah. But like. Well, I just I mean, I just also want to say like. To have a cliffhanger that teases a next thing as a formal device to end a comedy special that has too much stuff in it is perfect, is completely perfect. And in that moment, I was like, like arms in the air, like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. So even the things that I think don't work about it somehow actually pay off this thing that is then the end of the special, which is so fun. Um, Yeah. And I like... Of the list of, as we sort of are thinking about not just comedy specials as um, objects of themselves, but as sort of promises for the future of somebody's career, it's Mm. hard to imagine looking down the list of people and thinking like, well, that's somebody who I never want to. I mean, like, I'm so excited to see all of the stuff that he gets to do in the future, I hope. Mm -hmm. Um, Last up, Taylor Tomlinson, Look at You, Netflix. Yes. In therapy, I figured out the day in my childhood I became an emotional eater. I was eight years old and I was eating a bagel in the kitchen. And my dad came in and he goes, you're going to want to put that bagel down. I got to tell you something. And that's when he told me that my mom had died. So somewhere in my brain, something clicked like, oh, when you stop eating bread, people perish. I went back to fourth grade like the angel of death. Everyone's like, step on a crack, break your mother's back. I'm like, stop eating bread. Now your mom's dead, dude. (laughs) They left out that second part, but I had a list when I was eight. I tell you guys that because no one told me. (laughs) They pulled me aside a year later at school. Someone's like, Taylor, your teacher thinks you might be struggling with a speech impediment. I'm like, what's a speech impediment? (laughs) Are you sure you have the right person? Because... I'm crushing it out there. 
And they're like, you didn't do anything wrong. You just, you pronounce your words a little differently. Like you say, instead of for your S's, does that make sense? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I would have noticed <laughs> if I said instead of <laughs> Hope you find who you're looking for. <laughs> if you have any follow-up questions, I'll be on the seesaw. Uh, so this is Tomlinson's second Netflix hour. Yes. And second hours can be challenging in the same way, again, for TV reasons, that second seasons are challenging. You had the thing, you've been working toward it, you made it, and now you have to be the same and different at the same time. Mm -hmm. And this special, uh, I think, completely pulls that off and also has that sense of watching it and being like, I wish it were a little more the same and a little more different at the same mm -hmm. time, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it is uh, a reflection of a lot of stuff that she has been working through in the last, like, couple years, last year in particular. It is more explicitly a special about mental health and sort of what she is, the challenges of the more recent years in her life, I think her previous special was able to be more, uh, her sort of her first hour was able to have a little bit more scope about um, childhood because she could sort of introduce herself in a broader way. Mm -hmm. And so now you have the challenge of still wanting to do material about childhood because she now wants to be able to also do material about her mother's death. Um, but it is together with something like talking about mental health, she likes form and rhythm that feels super polished and at the same time wants to talk about uh, really heavy, dark things. And it is a, a wild balancing act when you think about it to try to do both of those things together and not have one side betray the other side. And I think I think she pulls it off. I think um, it is maybe a little like you look at the special and you think uh, that it feels it feels a little broad in the way that she talks about mental health. I think sometimes if you are if you are like very comfortable with talking about mental health diagnoses and like taking medication for them. And it is again, the kind of thing that like, if that feels if that's a very familiar conversation for you, you watch it and you're like, okay, yeah, well, well everyone talks about this. And you sort of forget like, yeah. oh, wait, maybe actually not everyone talks about this, this, frankly. Um, and, uh, and I think it is a special where it is as much about trying to figure out what the next iteration of Taylor Tomlinson is going to be like, as it is about developing and what has come before. Um, but I think very few of the specials that I watched this year are as polished and consistent and like just absolutely rock solid every single second of it. She knows exactly how every beat goes. She has thought intensely about every single word and the way that she says it and the way that she stands on a stage and you cannot deny that that comedic mm -hmm. voice it, like she, she it works she has nailed it she is like 
maybe too tightly stretched it, right? And it it just goes. It's very impressive. Did I compare it to the the Strokes' second album already to you? Was that the... Maybe. I don't think so. So the Strokes' second album is sort of famous for getting bad reviews because it was like, to many people's ears, exactly like the Strokes' first album. And then time went on and Strokes put out other albums that were not like it and were like, oh, wait, why did we like kick out of bed 10 more great Strokes songs? Um, the thing is like, you could see peaks of a different persona in it. And that is a type of thing in the moment, the first time you watch it, that like snags on my ears that especially as time goes on, it fits more harmoniously in a career where if she transitions, like it's, it's like John Mulaney's second hour is transitioning as well. And you're like, well, this just feels like that you can tell when things seem like transitions. And so that is like, it makes you don't see it as a piece. You just see it's like, why are we watching an hour when we could just, if you just waited three years, we'd get whoever that comedian is. Mm -hmm. And there's like a part where she's like mean to the audience and she does it like four times. Yeah. I know dead mom jokes make people uncomfortable. I know that. And if you are uncomfortable, I don't know what to say. You should have worked harder. So it was you up here. And you're like, do you want to be that person? Which is okay. Like be whatever, you know, like all of it. It's like actually really funny stuff. And it's a, but it's a very different persona from I'm just your friend. Yeah. And what she was so good at. And I think like her first special was a revelation because it's the thing that I always say about her is that she was able to be 27 and talk about being 27 in from a way that usually only comes from people who are like 35 talking about their 20s. And she's you felt she had somehow distance and presence. It's like it was a remarkable thing. And and that's what her fans are. She has so many fans that like clearly like they ask her for advice all the time. It's so bizarre. Like why we ask comedians for advice, but like. So she has that part of her and part of her that's also like clearly wants to be like, I'm not like you. Yeah. Right? I'm the showbiz person. Look at you. Like all that. Like she has that as well. And, and and that's a conflict. But when you zoom out, you're like, well, that parts were funny. And the parts where she wasn't like that were funny. Yeah. And like it and it, you're like, this is kind of where she's at. Like that's the thing that's hard, which is. Previously, what specials meant to comedians that had multiple specials, which is very rare. Like, for most part, there was sort of a Patton Oswalt model of like, you're just going to get a snapshot of where I am at this moment. Now, that is less satisfying than a like fully drawn portrait of where I am in this moment. That like, like what Rathaniel is and what eight was, where it's like, we're not just going to tell you where I am in this moment by giving you an update on my life. We're going to like give you the feelings of what, I, whatever, but this is like a very effective snapshot of where she is, which means, you know, like when you take a snapshot of a, Oh my God, this is so corny. When you take a snapshot of a river, it's still, but it's not like, right. So it's like, Whoa. So it's, it's not a profound. It truly is like a terrible metaphor, but it is that thing of like, we're seeing her in the middle of how she decides she wants to talk about these things. Like it's in the middle of how she wants to talk about mental illness. It's in the middle of how she wants to talk about her, her mom's death to this audience while she still wants to be this person. And it's an effective snapshot. Like people are not so neatly integrated into like one vision of self. Yeah. And that seemed to be the goal. I mean, the goal also seemed to be like, let's see if I can be funny for an hour, which she did. 
And as always happens with specials, you're like, you see more of them and you're like, oh, not that many of them have like good jokes throughout. So like, actually we should like, it's really special when things do. Um, and, and that's so like, I've over time have grown to like it more. Cause I'm like, one is good. And I do feel like, oh, this is kind of where she is at. And, and that's it. Like I have that glimpse of it and, and, and articulating that through like capturing a variety of things is, is a success. Um, again, it's like, she has an idea of what she wants her stamp to be. And that's, that's what this is. And when you compare it to other people who are doing material about these things, you might be like, Oh, she's not being vulnerable about a topic as being vulnerable. And then there's a disconnect there. But you also go like, well, this is what she's, this is who she is. You know, like, like there is a version of her that might be more vulnerable down the road and it might be more transcendent as a result or maybe not, who knows, but like, at least she's able to achieve what she's trying to do. And that is like, that's a success. I mean, that's like ultimately what you're asking for. It's like, okay, this is the show I want to do. And I did it to the best of my ability. Like, you know, this is it's the opposite of what I thought, which was like understanding the assignment. Like she did understand the assignment. This was the assignment she gave her, not yeah. the assignment that I would have given yeah. her of being like freaking cry on stage <laughs> or whatever. And, which is not to say it is, but like that's the thing, which is like remembering, recentering, uh, trying to be like the ability to articulate their perspective opposed to hitting your value system. Yes, and you go back and forth, but like you're like, oh, she articulated her perspective, and that. That is the success that I'm now able to see it as. Well, it makes sense also, and it I think works also in the way that she understands herself and her job as a comedian, which is that she really describes it as though she is providing a service and mm-hmm. the service is for people to be comforted and to feel like their flaws are fine are acceptable that they do not need to be ashamed of who they are and that there are people who um can reflect their own conflict and sense of um you know feeling lost or uncertain and uh and that when you watch her you are not you do not feel alienated by the sort of idea of what a person has mm. to be in the world you feel instead seen and supported and for her audience like she she 100% achieves that there i mean it, it is weird to think of a comedy special as a thing you like put on when so that you can fall asleep but there are people who use this as that mm. because the worldview feels so um, reassuring to them and then like that to, to be able to want that to be who you are for an audience and then achieve it is like you cannot deny that as a as a, a completely successful iteration of the thing that you are trying to be um any final thoughts about the state of comedy you want to tell anybody uh state of comedy is strong thank you i agree thank you so much as always it is a pleasure I'm always happy to be here. I look forward to it. I know that after we talk, I will come out understanding more about what I think about things than when I went in. And uh, and it's honestly, it's a gift. It's hard to do that without having a, a conversation with someone. And so I hope that this can be that for other people too. 
that's it for another episode of Good One. You can read Catherine's post on Vulture.com, subscribe to the specials at Patreon.com slash the specials, follow Catherine on social media at KVanAaron. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Governor Shrikachin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes. Mm, son. Hey, 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 good one. It's a good one. Support for this episode of Good One came from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. WikiHole takes listeners on a wild journey through the most bizarre catacombs of everyone's favorite crowdsourced online encyclopedia. Listen to host Darcy Carden and her funniest comedian friends dive deep into the obscure, the absurd, and the curiously inane. There's truly something for everyone with a taste for oddly fascinating information. Whether you're interested in Crystal Pepsi, Lenny Kravitz, or how Carden's fear of dolphins connects to Stetson hats. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.